0: The Money Shows. The Africa Business Report. The Africa Business Report brought to you by SAA, celebrating 90 years, connecting dreams, bridging continents, and soaring higher. SAA of course. Uh, we get a chat to Menzi and Dolfo this evening. Menzi is a senior country risk and political risk analyst at Signal Risk. How often can you fit risk into a single title? Um, but yes, uh, talking about risk with Stephen Boyke Sidley this evening, it does make your blood cool, doesn't it? A little bit unsettling. But let's talk about what's going on around the African continent that matters to all of us. And I suppose, Menzi, the biggest issue for all of us is the Red Sea crisis. It is an issue which is impacted global trade, it's forcing um, ships to go around the uh, around the Cape of Good Hope, as it's known in nautical terms, and it's adding to delivery times. It's adding to the distances that ships have to travel. It's it's causing, I'm sure, havoc with logistics as well. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, Bruce. Um, it as you mentioned, it is adding about 12 to 24 days to travel, and on average, around 700 thousand dollars. To fuel costs for freight liners and at the moment what is quite interesting is that we have averted the broader economic ramifications and that's largely due to insurance payouts that companies have made to shipping companies but these insurance buffers are running thin and if the crisis doesn't come to an end fairly soon I think the African economy will be in for a whirlwind and there are three concerns in particular the first is inflation all right which will probably occur as shipping companies shift the burden onto consumers the second is the commodity price spiral and this will occur as supply constraints in commodity markets and difficulty in ferrying fuel to uh, two key markets coincide all right and then there's the risk of a monetary reversal caused by these inflationary factors as we know we were expecting central banks to relieve consumers a bit by uh, by reducing benchmark rates but if inflationary factors continue to remain on the up central banks may walk back on this and this will come at the expense of credit growth it will come at the expense of private sector activity And it'll come at the expense of economic growth at large. So there's lots to be concerned about with respect to the Red Sea crisis.
0: What is the status quo right now? I, kind of, I was very on top of it when it was all brand new and scary in December and we were beginning to see the first signals of this emerging. And then Britain and America ganged up and fights and missiles and there was you know, talk of lasers being used and all sorts of other wonderful things. Um, I'm assuming that it remains largely a no-go zone.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, things appear to be getting somewhat worse despite the multilateral intervention that's led by the uh, the USA, known as Operation Prosperity Guardian. So so far, there have been about 30 vessels that have been attacked since October, and seven of these have occurred after the operation was launched. But I think what is most concerning, all right, was the declaration in early January by the Houthis that ships from participants – in the operation at large so including france denmark norway bahrain canada and others that are participating in the intervention are now fair game they can be attacked and as a result we have seen more diversions from the red sea all right with all major shipping companies now taking the route around the cape of good hope along with a plethora of oil companies and manufacturers I think another concern is the risk that this conflict becomes decoupled from Israel-Palestine. So the rhetoric amongst the Houthis thus far is that they are attacking ships in solidarity, so as to speak, with the Palestinian cause. But there are concerns among geopolitical circles that this can spiral off into an independent conflict and... In principle, a proxy war by Iran against global powers that may continue irrespective of what's happening in Israel slash Palestine. And that is a big worry at this juncture.
0: in in the same way as AI as we were hearing from Stephen Sidley earlier, as AI is providing this really cost effective mechanism to take over countries and to take over systems into the future Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day where people were talking about Mm. the cost of the drone technology that the Houthis are using and you don't need the massive warships you don't need the massive aircraft carriers and the aircraft and the the huge (laughs) infrastructure costs to wreak absolute havoc in the world anymore And and these guys are using cheap off-the-shelf technologies in ab- some cases ab-
1: absolutely i mean these guys have basically perfected the art of asymmetric war um there was some data that has been released by the like of reuters, the likes of reuters um comparing the relative costs uh of each uh, of each attack you know you have the u.s using uh, missiles north of one million dollars per shot And then you have a $24,000 drone that's being used by the Houthis. So this intervention is coming at a, a great expense to the intervening powers. And there are questions as to how long the intervention can be sustained. And also bearing in mind how resilient the Houthis are. You know, they've managed to, uh, to survive an onslaught by a Saudi-led coalition in the past. Of course, in Egypt has intervened in Yemen, and it also couldn't, uh, couldn't neutralize the Houthis. So they're a very steely bunch, and uh, I, think, I think that the West will have their hands full in trying to combat this group.
0: Yeah. No, it's absolutely frightening. Kenya, which seems to be putting more feet right than wrong at the moment, has uh, done a big Euro bond issue. What is the backstory to that? Why is it important? Why are we watching what Kenya is up to in terms of capital raising?
1: So, um, the Kenya issue is a, a fairly interesting one, all right? And markets have been looking at Kenya to see how its, its debt story transpires. The first story, all right, is whether or not high yield countries of which Kenya is one can get can get access to international markets. And with Kenya's recent issue, alright, it does show that there is there is scope for high yield countries to be able to access debt. And that can allow other countries which have a similar rating and similar yields as Kenya to gain access to international capital but then there also are risks all right that are attached with uh, with with gaining capital especially for for kenya at, at such rates uh, at such rates rather all right in as much as it has been able to acquire um a Eurobond, all right there is a sense that it is pretty much uh it is it is sacrificing long-term stability for short-term gains in that it is prioritizing the the repayment of its bond which is imminent but this is coming at the expense of long-term debt related pressures and I think these are questions that other high-yield countries are going to have to reckon with if they are to issue uh, bonds in the
0: in the near future let's talk about nigeria if we can just in terms yes. of the promises politicians make on their way into office and the reality that they need to face and we're seeing all of yeah. south africa's political parties at the moment publish their manifestos some of them have been written by la la land residents who, who they're totally unrealistic but voters generally don't really care about the the detail yeah. of these things they simply like the way these things sound but what mm. uh, president timbu but Tinubu has discovered, is that it's a lot harder to do what you say you were going to do when you were saying that you were going to do it than actually doing it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. What is interesting about Tinubu is that he hasn't gone the course of most African presidents. He's actually been relatively austere, and uh, he's kind of acted against populist pressures. So since he came into power last year in May, we've seen a subsidy removal. Right, And that has had a fairly damaging effect on uh, real incomes across Nigeria. We have seen currency liberalization, which has led to a decline in the value of the Naira and has also compounded inflationary pressures and, by extension, um, Nigerian households' real earnings. So Tenubu has basically bucked the trend of most African uh, of most African presidents, but he is coming under considerable amount of pressure now because his promise of uh, of austere reforms delivering some kind of economic turnaround hasn't been realised yet. All right, we're seeing Nigeria having inflation of close to thirty percent in in January. All right. So Nigerian households are under the caution. They're asking him very serious questions. We're seeing unions actually approaching courts to request a uh, a, a kind of limitation on on some of the reforms that have been uh, that have uh, been implemented by Tenubu. And mind you, these are reforms that the markets and the likes of the IMF have been. Uh, hugely uh, complimentary of. In fact, they've demanded them as a means of stabilizing the Nigerian economy. But how the cookie crumbles, I would say that Tinubu still has a considerable amount of capital with the unions and with the general public, All right, based on how he's positioned himself and based on the narrative that he's told about the Nigerian economy and his admission from the outset that this will be a long haul. He's also implemented some palliative measures which have kind of placated grievances. And I think this should help to ease pressure on the president for the next couple of months. But if there's no turnaround, all right, I'd say by, by the third quarter, and if there's no prospect of some kind of deceleration in inflation, the president will find himself under, under serious caution.
0: Menzi, what a joy to have you on the radio. Thank you, Menzi and Glover, the senior country risk and political risk analyst at, yes, you guessed it, Signal Risk. Which